0: Hey, guys, it's Sylvie from Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000. You're listening to my guys, Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines. So much to cover. This is a special episode. It's the final friendly confines with this Cubs team as we know it. We know there's going to be some changes as the trade deadline is just a few days away. We're going to put on our GM cap and talk about who would you rather in terms of who you keep if push came to shove. We're going to talk about the sketchiness around Chris Bryant during the Cardinals series. He was held out quite a bit. What's going on there? We're going to talk about who is the actual leader of this team and who do you want to see step up and be the leader? Uh, And we're also going to talk about after the trade deadline is over, what can we expect from this Chicago Cubs team? We've got ESPN 1000's Carmen DeFalco is joining us in our seventh inning stretch as the guest conductor for a great interview with Ryan, but I have the great honor of, I'm really excited about this, my co-host this week is a legend of Southern Illinois University of Carbondale, the radio television department, and uh, an industry vet, Ken Keller is uh, my co-host, I couldn't be more excited about that. So stick around, the Friendly Confine starts right now. Start now as we always do in the first inning and I'm delighted uh, we, we've got some interns here on the Friendly Confines podcast we've got intern Peyton who always does a lot of fact checking but this is probably the, the my most favorite intern of all time I can't believe I'm even calling you an intern but for all the Salukis out there this is a legend of SIU of radio television Ken Keller welcome <laughs> to the Friendly Confines how you
1: doing I'm doing well thank you
0: I love it. I, I, you said you, your first game at Wrigley was in 49. You've been a Cubs fan for more than 70 years. I love reading your Cubs recap um, after every game on, on Facebook. We haven't had a lot of fun recaps lately, but let's dive no, into this, this first inning. And Ken, you know, we're, we're in the midst of this trade deadline. By the next time we record, the trade deadline will be over. As you look at what's going on with the Cubs as, as the fan, what do you think? Who do you think is going to be next? Uh, to go here for Chicago.
1: Well, <clears throat> initially, I thought maybe they were going to keep the status quo for a while, but the more I look at it, I think, um, you know, Bryant's probably a sure thing if he's not gone already, although he did play in tonight's game. Um, and Jock Peterson didn't bring a whole lot when they traded him, although it seems that they're interested in Um, adding first baseman to to their uh, minor league system, I suppose anticipating that someday uh, Rizzo isn't going to be around. But um, I don't know. I think uh, after Bryant, uh, it's hard to say. I think uh, Kimbrell is is on the list, although I'm not quite sure why. And... uh, Baez is probably uh, on the list as well. Um, I think the interest again is, is you know, stacking the uh, the minor league system as best they can and uh, add for taking a shot at it in a couple of years because I don't think they're going to go anywhere this year.
0: Yeah, it, it it definitely feels like uh, the front office is is uh, is about ready to to do the wheeling and dealing. I I'm surprised that so many people are surprised that the deals haven't been made as of yet because I think the leverage really comes when you can see all of the offers and you start to get people who can you know apply some pressure. Who says? Yeah, I'd really like a Craig Kimball right now, or uh, Chris Bryant. His versatility to be, be able to play five positions all over the field. So I think I think Jed Hoyer is is biding his time, but I do fully expect that that the Cubs are going to be open for business, and they're going to be. Um, receiving a lots of different offers Uh, who goes next. I I think it really depends on the right fit and, and, and who provides the the best haul. this is a different time. You know, baseball has changed quite a bit where you're not going to get a rental for a couple, couple uh, months and then, and and then lose a whole bunch of prospects and in the mix you're going to lose. You know, if you think about it, if, if nobody gets dealt um, of the big three Rizzo Baez and Bryant and the Cubs turn around and give each of them a qualifying offer and they sign elsewhere, the Cubs will get a, a second round pick for each and every one of those guys. That's great value. So that's the minimum sure. that has to come. But I think Chris Bryant, I think Craig Kimbrell are, are going to be the, the bells of the ball in terms of who's going to be um, moved at this deadline. And you look at like what the, the Mets could use right now to compete with the Braves, who are very active in the market. You look at Boston, you know, they they would love to have a, a, a reconnection with Kimbrell. They actually would like to have somebody like Rizzo with with what they need. But it's going to be interesting to see here in the next couple of days, probably while this episode is released, we might see some moves and we might have to do a special edition. But uh, we will see. This second inning will move on, Ken and I love this I post this on Twitter and so listen really clearly how I'm I'm sharing this if you could just keep one and I want your rationale you can't say both if you could just keep one and option one behind door number one is Javi and Anthony Rizzo you could keep them or you keep Chris Bryant if push came to shove um Ken when when the Cubs open up their purse strings next year and they decide to keep maybe um one of these guys would you rather have the 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 Javi Rizzo uh, together, or or would you rather have Chris Bryant? You can only choose one.
1: Let's open door number one and keep Javi and Rizzo. I think those two guys are important to the team. Rizzo especially. Uh, Javi needs to learn to quit swinging for the fences every time he's up there. But um, uh, I think uh, overall, those two guys are going to be the more valuable.
0: It's it's interesting. Uh, you saw. Uh, with Javi over this really rough stretch for the Cubs, which included that massive losing streak, he's changed up his approach at the plate and he is actually working for more contact going the other way. And, and as we saw in that Thursday loss against the Cardinals, actually took, drew a walk, which was really surprising in a key moment. Um, but I just don't know if he has what it takes to do that long-term. I think, I think the fans get into his head, the opportunity for a big moment and a highlight gets in his head. And uh, I don't know if he's the guy you can build a, a, a whole uh, team around um, and even his defense is, has dropped off a little bit we're quite a ways away from Javi's second place MVp season a couple of years ago when you look at at uh, rizzo i i'm not a i'm not a believer as well he's broken down a lot he's looked listless here in the last couple of weeks and everybody says he's our captain but I'm not seeing that and i I, I think so I'll go the other direction not to be Um, You know, not to go against you, but just, I really do believe it. I think if you're going to build up a team, I think Chris Bryant is your guy because again, the flexibility Um, before he got hit in the thumb earlier this year, he was in the top three of everybody's uh, votes for MVP playing 10 positions at at five. I'm sorry, 10 games uh, minimum at five different positions. There's nobody else in Major League Baseball. That could do that, so I would go all out for that. We won't get into numbers here, but I think Chris is going to command a, a heck of a of a salary. Let's move on to the the third inning, and you and I were talking about this offline. It it got kind of interesting and it got kind of shady. We weren't sure if Chris Bryant was even on the team because he was held out of the majority. Of this four-game Cardinal series, what do you make about that kind of sketchiness by David Ross and how he shared, like on Wednesday, that that Chris was available, but when he didn't come up in that key at bat in the ninth inning, he did come up on Thursday um, and drew a walk, um, and uh, and he was and he was also pulled from the lineup on on Thursday with uh, some g- general soreness. or I don't know how they tied it, but Kim, what do you think about um, what they're doing? Are they just trying to protect their trade asset, or do you think there's something wrong with Chris?
1: I think, I think the former is probably true that they're trying to protect the uh, trade asset. Uh, Rossi was very vague when talking about him the other night in terms of um, how injured he really was and uh, he said that uh, he thought he was going to be available to play the next day and then he wasn't and then uh, a couple of reporters asked him for more specifics and he didn't have any and or wouldn't answer those questions. So the speculation right away is that something was up and, and that uh, either he had been traded or they were keeping him out during the throes of important negotiations or whatever. But um, he did appear in the game Thursday night, as you said, and he walked and uh, um and I also agree with you, too, that he is a valuable asset to the team. Maybe not as much as they thought he was going to be early on, but uh, if he works things out, um, he, he could be uh, very useful to the Cubs and an important uh, aspect of the Cubs team. Um, and earlier you mentioned about Rizzo and and uh, Baez, I've been noticing that and maybe it's the time because of the trade deadline coming up or whatever, but I've noticed lately that a lot of those guys look kind of down in the dumps as they take the field and go through the motions of playing the game. Like there's a lot of uncertainty there and and they're not sure what's going to happen with them personally or with the team in general. And I think there's kind of a funk there that they've got to come out of once all this is said and done. Uh, to, you know, get back on the horse and let's keep going.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you, you nailed it in terms of, I've, I've seen those slumpy shoulders as well. And I, I know these are all professionals and they're out there um, and they're doing their job. But I think the emotion of this team is, is very different. And, and it is interesting as we go back to kind of that, that Bryant situation, I think the front office is, is, is absolutely protecting its resource. I mean, Chris is right now in, in a healthy stage um, you know, he, he his body hasn't really broken down this year as much as as much as he's been hurt um, by by again by by uh, by hit by pitch and some of those other issues uh, where he's been playing more athletically. And I think, um, again, there's not a team. You look at all of the contenders and all of baseball. I don't care if it's the the Giants, the Dodgers or the Padres. If you just look on the West Coast, we'll start there. Uh, they could use Chris Bryant somewhere. I mean, they all have, you know, most of them have a third baseman, but do they have a first baseman they love? They, they, you know, some of them have a right fielders, but they have a left fielder they love. Chris has that versatility that he can be slotted in sure. anywhere. And what I like about Chris, and I've always liked about him, why I think he's somebody you can build a, a, a franchise around, which I hope Jed makes the move in the offseason, um, even if they trade him, I hope they make a big push to bring him back on a long-term deal, is he's never big time this team as far as we know. He's never complained about being moved around on a daily basis. And in a lot of cases, his numbers haven't suffered. Wherever you slot him in, he plays solid defense uh, and he uh, does his job at the plate. And so I think, you know, for that reason alone, I do think he's the most valuable trade asset. But if you go back to 2016, this Cubs team, I don't believe, wins that World Series without bringing a role to Chapman in. So if a team can bring in a Craig Kimbrell, who is just destroying her right now with the near, nearly sub, you know, sub point five ERA. That's an asset that I think would 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 be valuable for any team, whether he's coming in the eighth or coming in the ninth. So you alluded to uh, as we move on to the, the fourth inning, but Ken, you alluded to kind of the energy level or the excitement level or the lack thereof. And and I, I posed this question in, in inning four: Who's the actual leader of this team, and and is there is if there is one on Twitter on social media, people just you know people kind of defer and say Anthony Rizzo has the C on his chest as the captain as the as the leader. As a fan, if somebody follows this team and, and intently like you do, do you think that Anthony is actually the one that is having those tough conversations? Do you think there is anybody on this team that is doing anything? to, to rally the troops and, and, and keep people motivated down the stretch.
1: First off, I don't know, I mean, in terms of what's going on in the clubhouse and who's taking right. charge in terms of, uh, you know, lighting the fire under guys and that sort of thing. Um, you mentioned offline about, uh, Contreras trying to get something going by making a mention of one or two things, but, um, I don't know. There, there's such a different makeup on the team of people with different personalities and people with different skill sets, and and you just don't know. But you're right. I just don't see the one person who's leading the charge and uh, doing the flag waving to get this team riled up.
0: Yeah, I, I've always felt that that this team. Its identity was not in one person. And then there are a lot of teams where you could kind of look at that and go, this guy is, is, is the one, you know, this is, you know, the Padres have a lot of superstars, but Fernando Tatis Jr. Really is the guy that people look to Buster Posey up with the giants, along with Crawford, their shortstop, you know, are having tremendous years. And you look at them as being the leaders with, with the Cubs. I always felt like the core five. I always put Chorber in there um, was kind of the identity of this team. And now it's the core four with Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, and Contreras, they were always the identity of the team, and I think that that didn't give the ability for some other guys and role play guys to come in and 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 have a bigger impact. I think that's the thing I'm most excited about this free agency year. I'm excited about the the chance to kind of upset the apple cart a little bit and go in a different direction with some of these guys. Um, and I don't see it. I don't see who the leader is. I don't think there is one. Um, I think it all really falls down on David Ross, and I don't think you know, we haven't seen him vocally. I think Tony LaRusso has had been a more vocal leader this year than we've seen David Ross be the leader in his couple of years. So it's going to be interesting to see if this team dynamic changes in the off season with the changes that are going to be happening. And if somebody will step up because again, in that 15, 16, 17 year, and really the winningest time of both of our lives can, you know, uh, those guys were the leaders, but they sure, sure seem to kind of take their foot off the gas as these mm-hmm. years have passed away since uh, since their last NLCS appearance in in 17. So let's move on to the fifth inning and this is this is crystal ball time. This is you can be optimistic, you can be pessimistic. I'm usually the optimistic fan. Ryan's usually the pessimist. Almost from the oh, before the season even starts, he's always pessimistic. Was he like that in college again? Was he always kind of a negative Nancy? I don't remember. But uh, I don't but remember
1: I'll- that. No. I mean, I know he was just totally hung up on doing sports and that was his life. And that was the direction he was going to go in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, every time I pose the question, it's always hopeless for him. So I don't feel that way, but I got to tell you right now, I don't know what I feel. So I'll I'll let you start here in the fifth inning, regardless of what happens by the afternoon of, of Friday, the last Friday of July, when the trade deadline officially ends, Ken, do you think that there's a possibility, whether it's the guys that stay or maybe they all stay or they all go and it's a youth movement, can this team make a run?
1: Boy, it's, it's, you know, I thought so early on, I thought everybody was going to be surprised that, uh, you know, Hoyer kind of stood pat, you know, because he had the money or didn't have the money. Um, But for several years now after 2016, the hitting has falling way down uh, at certain points of the season. And uh, they just don't seem to have the ability to pick that back up and, and get back on the horse, play a small ball or whatever they need to do uh, to be competitive. So I have my doubts and I had my doubts at the beginning of the season. And uh, I got encouraged uh, like a lot of other people did, but then the slump happened and uh, here we are. So I I have my doubts, but um, one can hope. I mean, we're still watching, we're still hoping, and we're still rooting.
0: I, I started to feel a little more comfortable when they, they, they took care of business against Arizona. Um, the offense has obviously just did not want to show up during that four-game series against the Cardinals. I mean, they had one of the most incredible comebacks that, that we've seen as, as, as Cubs fans, you know, the, the greatest ninth inning comeback, you know, down a certain amount of runs, I think, since 1979 when they beat the Cardinals. But otherwise, they lost that series. They didn't look good, and they're just losing ground. Um, part of me says, Ken, uh, I'm excited about the youth movement. I'm I'm excited about seeing some of these young pitchers um, get stretched out and have a bigger role. Um, part of me is concerned that if the bullpen does get depleted, if Chafin and and Tapera and and Kimbrell all end up with contenders, it's going to be hard to close the door on any any win. Um, but I'm excited about the youth movement. I'm excited about seeing um, the players that will step up and and without the shadow of the the core four, you know Contreras, I do expect to still be there. But without the shadow, maybe some of these younger guys will step up. We saw it in in May. A lot of the reasons this team was successful and went from worst to first during that month was because a lot of the young guys and some of the role players. So it'd be interesting to see um, what happens. So uh, that's my take. So let's move on to the sixth inning. I know what you see in the rundown and I apologize, but I'm I'm just going to put you on a spot and I would like you to tell us a little bit of a story here in the sixth inning. You told me before we came on the air that your first game at Wrigley was in 19. Was it 49? Is that what I heard?
1: I believe that. Since 1949 or 1950, I was seven years old, maybe eight, probably more like seven. I grew up in the era when, uh, you know, black and white television was just getting a stronghold and WGN was broadcasting the Cubs games in black and white back in the day. And um, I was a kid who probably was more interested in you know, how things got on television rather than what actually was on television. And one of the few local things that was broadcast back then was uh, Cubs baseball. And uh, my father sort of encouraged me as he watched the games too. And uh, I just got uh, hung up on it, you know, the Wrigley field and the players and this sort of thing. And my dad finally took me to a game. um, I think I was about seven years old. I had my, Uh, you know plastic mitt that couldn't catch any ball probably and I was all set to go and um, I remember we got to the ballpark and we walked up those stairs onto the field and I saw them in color for the first time the the diamond and the green grass and the ivy and all that sort of and I was just blown away uh, as a kid I didn't know all that much about baseball I remember I had a ask my dad at the end of the game who won, you know, but um, it all blossomed from there. And uh, I guess I owe it all to uh, television and WGN back in the early days.
0: I love that story. I'll ask you one more before we get to our interview with Carmen DeFalco from ESPN 1000. You know, you've been in this for a long time as a Cubs fan. You said, you said just, uh, just, just say 70 years i've been a fan for 70 years um about that, yeah what would you say um there was a lot of thin you know from when you think about the thick and thin time i thought i had it, it rough i mean I, I was 10 years old in 84 right and that was that was a very important year for me that really solidified it uh, solidified me in terms of, of my fandom and 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 the heartache that i could feel probably my first heartache ever was around that team but you, you didn't have a lot of, 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 of great success prior to 84. You, you could point to 69. But I, I don't want to talk about the wins and the losses. But what is it about you? Um, and I always like asking the long-term fans, you know, we're not, we're not in this for the pain. But what is it for you that has kept you connected to this team and following and rooting for this team for, for the balance of your life?
1: I don't know. I uh, grew up in Chicago, as I said, grew up watching the Cubs on uh, WGN. Um, my dad was a Cub fan and he's the one that got me uh, initiated by taking me to Wrigley field. And uh, um, from then on through my teen years and in the college and all that, it was just, uh, that was the place to be. And that was the thing to do. And, uh, uh hard to miss a cubs game you just have to uh, absorb the good bad and then and cheer for the good and uh, keep on going but it's uh, it's an institution and it's a way of life i guess for for some of us <laughs>
2: Time now for the seventh inning stretch, and we have a great guest for you this week. A great guest always, but this week, no exception. You can hear him middays on ESPN 1000 in Chicago on Carmen Yurko. You can find him on Twitter at Carmen DeFalco. It is our pleasure to welcome Carmen DeFalco to the seventh inning stretch. Hey, Carm, welcome to the Friendly Confines. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for the invite, Ryan. I appreciate it. No, it is. It is great to have you and great to talk to you. So obviously a lot of moving parts going on with the Cubs right now. This has uh, kind of been the season that we had all hoped wouldn't happen. And yet here we are. We saw Jack Peterson get traded earlier uh, in the week. Um, and now we are seeing the rest of the dominoes fall um, in your opinion. Who do you think is ultimately going to be the next guy that is going to be traded from this baseball team? I know it might be a little tough to answer that, but what does your your heart and head say when it comes to the next guy who might be off?
3: Well, I think let's put it this way: I think at some point, Kimbrel and Bryant are sure to go. Um, in which order? That I'm not exactly sure. I think the next guy could be a smaller piece, like maybe Ryan Tapera or maybe Andrew Chafin or. Um, I wouldn't say bias is a small piece but you know maybe bias does go at some point here Look, I I think all five are probably pretty good candidates to be dealt I don't think it's a secret anymore at this point I think all teams are aware I think they're all watching Um, you know it sounds like our Jesse Rogers told cap and hoodie this morning that there were I think at least six teams at least. Um, that were there in St. Louis uh, and that are there right now. And there were two scouts from the White Sox scouting the game last night. They're looking for relief help. Um, who knows if they'd like to add Javi Baez for a stretch run and let him play second base um, if they weren't going to have to give up too much. So I think, you know, like it's it's all a possibility. I think a lot of it's very likely. I think Kimbrell and Bryant are certainly going to be gone here in the next 10 days, nine days, I guess it is now. And uh, my guess is Tapera and Chafin are probably gone too. I think those four – Rizzo, Javi, a little bit more. um, I'd say there's a little bit more of a likelihood, especially Rizzo, even Javi. I could see them holding on to Javi and still trying to get a long-term deal done with him uh, at the end of the season.
2: Let me ask you this. How should Cub fans feel about the prospect of Chris Bryant ultimately no longer a part of this team? I mean, obviously him and Anthony Rizzo are synonymous with what this era of Cubs baseball was. How do you think ultimately – Cubs fans should feel about his departure and him no longer being a part of the team?
3: That's a good question. I mean, and for all of the good things that Cub fans have seen and all that he's meant to the organization, at times I feel like Bryant is still a little bit of, um, maybe enigma is too strong of a word, but you know, like Bryant's having a good year. I don't think Chris Bryant's having like a blow blow your mind kind of year. He's not. 15, 16, and 17 were kind of blow your mind years. They were, this guy's one of the five best players or one of the seven best players in baseball. He's rookie of the year. He's MVP. He was in, I think the top five in the MVP voting in 17. They won a world series. I mean, it's like, Oh my God, look at the trajectory here. This is a hall of fame trajectory. And things have certainly plateaued. There's even been a dip. I mean, uh, last year was brutal as, as, truncated as it was for everybody and for uh, especially for Brian. So you know, I, I mean, like, I, what is he anymore at this point? Does Chris Bryant look like a top five or seven player? Absolutely not. Chris Bryant might, I mean, I, I don't know. I might be able to name almost 20. And off the top of my head, maybe he'd say, well, that's a little bit of a stretch. But I don't know. I mean, I, you know, like he's not the player I think we all thought he was going to be. And so the feeling should be he meant a lot. The good times were really good. Get whatever you can now for Chris Bryant, and at least he's having a bounce-back season. And maybe that haul is decent, and you, you know, you you hit on one of those prospects that can be part of this next window that they plan to open up. I think that's I think that's the approach they have to take, and I think it's going to be harder for them to say goodbye to Rizzo, believe it or not. Even though Bryant was the better player, still is the better player. It seems like Rizzo's always kind of been the heart and soul.
2: Sure. Sure. No, absolutely. I, I totally understand where you're coming from on this. Let me, let me throw this at you. And I, I mentioned this on our podcast uh, this week about the fact that the Boston Red Sox, the St. Louis Cardinals, and the Washington Nationals, uh, three teams who let go of a superstar. You got Bryce Harper with the Nationals, Albert Pujols with the Cardinals and Mookie Betts with the Red Sox. And you look back on the Pujols situation the Cardinals didn't skip a beat. Some might say they were actually better in the long run. The Nationals went out and promptly won a World Series without Bryce Harper. And the Red Sox are in first place right now. Is there anything that suggests that even with the Cubs getting rid of Bryant, this team um, can continue to play ball, uh, I don't want to say better, but obviously you construct this team a year from now when there's not a lot of guys in her contract next season. And you potentially have a team that's going to be just as good, if not better.
3: Especially because they could get prospects for a lot of guys. I mean, they're, they're sort of the Cubs. You, you do get a sense that they're sort of – I think uh, John Paul Morosi wrote this on MLB.com earlier in the week, that there's a growing feeling that they kind of control the market right now with all that they have to offer. So they've got the best guy to offer in Craig Kimbrell. I mean, I think that's um, short of maybe Scherzer becoming available and he's probably not going to be. So, like, that's incredible. Brian's going to get you something. You've got other guys that might be able to bring little – bits and pieces back and at that point you're just yeah you're kind of hoping to get lucky but maybe you do um and they might spend money for the first time right in a while you're right i mean like there's not a lot on the books you've got all these guys in the walk year the pandemic is uh it feels like it's over i guess i don't want to cause any controversy with that statement but i mean the stadiums are back full um games are going back on wrigleyville's kind of bouncing and hopping again that's what Tom Ricketts needs to happen he was probably adversely affected a little bit more than most owners because of all the interest around the ballpark and all they had put in the ballpark I I get extremely annoyed when he talks about the biblical losses and how teams don't make money and they don't buy teams to make money that's nonsense but I do think it probably affected him more than and affected them uh, because of their business model more than a lot of teams with all that over Uh, there's revenue streams that have opened up here again. They should be making more on marquee as they go forward. Like, yeah, it's time to spend money again. So if you do it right and you get a few key prospects and then you're a player again in free agency, which you haven't been the last couple of years, they certainly could be. And the examples you list for good, the good organizations seem to have a way to overcome it, right? I mean, whether it's, you know, the the three you talked about, whether it's, you know, uh, how Tampa's model has always worked, And, you know, Tampa can't really hold on to anybody long term, but here's Tampa every year competing in one of the toughest divisions in baseball where you do have big spenders mostly, and they find a way to win 90 to 100 games every year. It's like the good organizations should be able to do it. And I trust in Jed. You know, I'm not even not being a cup fan. Like I like the Theo Jed combination. I like Jed Hoyer. I like talking to Jed on our show. I think Jed's as transparent as any executive in his position can be. I think he's really smart. Like I like him. And I think he can, you know, with, with the proper resources, I think he can do it.
2: Carm, I think I have PTSD from all the years that I have had to watch this team since the late eighties to the nineties to the two thousands to not feel confident, regardless of who's in charge to think that this team's going to make the right decision. Am, am I wrong in that thinking or you understand it, where I'm coming from? It totally.
3: is PTSD, but you're right. I mean, that's the fan in us. Like, there are certain things that you can't get over. Like I, I had joked about this in the last couple of weeks because, you know, Italy won uh, the UEFA uh, champion, you know, the European championships. And like, I, I like to cheer for Italian soccer uh, with my roots. And like, I have these, I have these bad visions of 94, the final in California against Brazil. And they missing, you know, missing two penalties, and the best player in the world at that point was Roberto Baggio, and he sails went over the crossbar in the final kick, and Brazil celebrating them. Like Italy's won major, like they won the 2006 World Cup on penalties. Like they've won these big games since then on penalties, and every time Italy goes to penalties. I put my head down. And I'm like, they can't, they can't do it. They're terrible and penalties like And it's like, what is that? It was 30 years ago. And somehow you're right. You've got like this PTSD that, Oh, they can't
2: do that. Even though the recent history tells us, no, they can, this is different. This is not 30 years ago. Javi Baez. You talked about him and Rizzo potentially being around next year as the holdovers of that core. Um, and Wilson Contreras who's under contract, uh, Javi, they might get at a major discount right now. Javi's talking about, you know, what, 150 mil. I, I can't imagine he's worth more than 100 personally, if that, right now. I mean, what, what's the market for Javi Baez, in your opinion, for where the Cubs would feel comfortable re-signing him long-term? Two
3: years ago, I mean, it was a $200 million price tag, and he might have been thinking more. And that you talk about falling off a cliff. Um, especially with the talent that's going to be available in that market at, at the shortstop position. Um, Semyon's made it look even more like it's going to be even more plentiful the way he's played, even though he's not playing playing short. I mean, he can go and play short, obviously. Um, that's really what he's played his whole career. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you're talking, you're talking 150 probably, and he he's going to have to accept that. And that might be a fair deal for the Cubs, a shorter term deal where they're not paying him, uh, the 30 or 35 million dollars a year that it looked like they might have to pay him or that somebody might pay him a couple of years ago that's not going to happen I like Javi like he's an entertaining player to watch I like his swag he brings a lot to the table but he's very flawed I think we know that he's extremely flawed as an offensive player and he's just not going to get that kind of contract it could be good for the Cubs on a shorter term deal too you could you you know your third and fourth ranked prospects in the organization I believe uh, Fangraphs just did theirs about two weeks ago and uh, ed howard and there's another kid who i'm blanking on um who are their third and fourth ranked short uh, uh players in their system are shortstops but they're like 17 and 19 i think Ed howard's 19 i mean they're they're a few years away still and so you could
0: really realistically on a shorter term deal kind of build that bridge still with javi and once again our special thanks to Carmen defalco a uh, great interview with ryan uh uh Carmen is a fixture on ESPN 1000. Uh, it's so g- great to hear from him. You can find him on Twitter at Carmen Defalco. You can find me on Twitter at the Chad Gordon Ryan Lieber, who you heard in the interview, is at Ryan D Lieber. You can follow us on Facebook. We've got a great Facebook page, uh, the Chicago Cubs Friendly Confines. Uh, headquarters and we also have a website uh theconfines.com go check out check us out every bit of new content that we drop will also be shown on there you can sign up for our newsletter and let you know when we have a new content dropping there on theconfines.com but uh ken welcome back we're here in the eighth inning and as, as we close this out i saw this posted as a poll question on twitter and i thought it was really interesting and i'd love to have your take on it um if the White Sox face the Brewers here in the World Series coming up at the end of this year, who you got, who you're rooting for if you had to choose one?
1: I guess being a National League guy, I'd have to, uh, even they're, even though they're an uh, enemy of the Cubs, so to speak, I think I'd have to uh, root for the Brewers uh, because... When you grow up in Chicago, as you may know, that you are either a White Sox fan or a Cubs fan, but never both. Uh, At least that's the way it was when I was a kid. And you get to the point where if somebody comes up to you in the playground or wherever and says, which are you, Cubs or Sox? You're not quite sure what to say, especially if they're bigger than you are, because you either might get (laughs) Robert or at least you know uh torn down in one way or the other um so yeah I was always a a Cubs fan and therefore never a White Sox fan although I did watch the White Sox games when I was growing up but uh, uh I guess to keep it in the National League I'd vote for the Brewers.
0: I love it. I, and it's really interesting because I, uh, I, I think you know this. I grew up in central Illinois. I, I went up with the same high school as Lon Tay, who has been on the show many a times and and, and was, a, Lon was a student of yours uh, um, in my town. And Lon's a Cardinal fan. I'm a Cubs fan In my town. It, it is about 50 50. It's about a coin flip. Um, of Cubs and, and Cardinal fans. And I can guarantee you since I was there, before I was there and after I was there, there were no White Sox fans. And so you, you share that story about on the playground as a kid. I remember stepping on the campus in Carbondale at Southern Illinois University and you know wearing my Cubs gear and then getting a lot of grief from some of my new friends who are from the suburbs of Chicago about you know being a Cubs fan and, and they're wearing all their White Sox gear. And, and I'm gonna show my ignorance at this time. I got to be honest, I wasn't too aware at 18 and 19 there was another team in Chicago because they were they definitely weren't on the Saturday afternoon broadcast. They weren't making the you know, the postseason when I was watching TV and they certainly weren't on the TV I was watching on, on on the afternoons at WGN. So so here's my my take when it happened for them in 05. I was genuinely happy for my friends. I was I because you know I had got so close in '03. I really had it convinced that it was never going to happen. Um, I was happy for my White Sox fans. So my answer is the White Sox because it's an opportunity for Chicago to shine. It's an opportunity for the city to shine. Um, and and I've never been that guy, even when I've been to Cubs White Sox games, I've never been that person to root against him or cheer against him or, or give my, my, my guys a lot of grief. I do love to root against the Cardinals and I'm always happy when the Cardinals or Gotti or anybody of those guys a uh, fail. They definitely had our number in this last week in the four game series. But I'm gonna go with the White Sox if, if only because I think Chicago needs it and there's a lot of, uh, of fans on the South side and a lot of my dear friends that uh, could definitely use that boost because it has been a long time. I know it's not 108 years, but uh, was that 16 year drought? That's a long drought. You know, that, I, I feel bad for him. You know, there's, in, there's, there's kids driving now in Chicago that never experienced a white Sox right. socks. So, yeah. all right, let's close it out. And we're going to go back to the memory banks again, um, but we're going to keep it a little bit closer. Um, getting a little sentimental now uh, they call it hug watch on Twitter. You know, when you, when you watch the game on the marquee network, uh, you, you keep waiting For the camera to cut to the dugout and see a player start to hug everybody, which that means they've been traded. They're gone. And I do believe we're going to start seeing more and more hugs, not just a couple, but a few um, here in the next couple of days. And so, so Ken, this has been the winning. I mean, you've been a fan for 70 years. You said it uh, 70 plus years. You've never had a more successful run. I've never had a more successful run as this Cubs team has had since 2015 onward. Um, When you think about this run, what is your fondest memory? And I'll only do one caveat here. It can involve Cleveland, the Cleveland Indians, or even making the World Series. When you think about this team, what stands out for you during this sustained period of of greatness of, of competitive baseball? That, that really, you know, that, that, that helps define this core and what they've been able to do the last six years.
1: Well, I think you hit it on the head when you um, said the baseball aspect of it with the Cubs is that for so many years, they had several good players but they never had a team. And in 2016, they really gelled as a team and it was, and that's what got them to where they ended up and It was so great to see after all those years and i think madden had a lot to do with getting that core built as a team uh which won a world series for the first time in however many years so uh one of the first things i did after that final out and the cubs won the world series i just looked up and i said to my dad up there we did it you know (laughs) (laughs) 'Cause he was the one that got me involved in this whole thing in the first place. So
0: I love that. And and so many people have that story. So many people have that person that, that they didn't get to experience it with, that they instantly connected with. And I think this that emotional connection for so many people, that bond so strong. And uh um it's it's like young love in a little ways. There's elasticity in our brain, I think, that really takes us back to that time. You remember where you were. You remember who you thought of. You remember that moment. As I answer that question, um, you know, I, I came on my first year as a as a uh, as a Cub season ticket holder, which I still am. Um, this this team lost more than a hundred games. I mean, and and I wasn't in it to make the money. I was in it because I wanted to go to a lot of games. I could walk to the park, and I was going to a lot of games. Uh, sure. But, but I, I, even then I remember trying to talk myself into like the Mike no years, right? I was like, Oh, this team's got a chance, you know, they're going on a run. And, uh, and they, they didn't. And just the idea uh, and you, you knew 15 was going to be special, but then it got incredibly special after the, the, all, the all-star break. And we got to experience what Jake did and just the dominance for them to even make the, with, with high 90s, um, make the, uh, the wild card against a team that won more than women in the, uh, in the Pirates and a, and a team in the Cardinals that won 100 games. I think this was the most dominant division. And, and it, it kind of signaled in that, wait a second, we actually, we're not going to falter. We're not going to fall apart. We're going to be competitive and then again 16 not only were competitive we, we went all the way 17 back to the nlcs even though it was a, a pretty uh, big wallet by by the dodgers and then making the playoffs every year except for one which had a a, a collapse towards the end you know we could hold out hope that it's going to happen this year but likely that they won't make it but just the idea as a fan that i'm going to be listening to entertainment um, that I'm going to be listening to excitement, that I'm going to be listening and watching teams that have the ability to win more games than they're going to lose. In other words, win more than 500. And that's that's not lost on me. So that's very special. But if I could pin it down to one moment, it really was the excitement and the utter dominance of this cubs team when they took on the cardinals in 2015 um, in that NLDS where kyle hit the the ball over the shoreboard and right field and and just that this team could do no wrong and they they bounced the cardinals and i remember being out there um way past we were supposed to right by the cubs dugout and celebrating with my friends uh that moment and it was for me that was the moment that said now nah, we deserve to be here we're going to be here we're going to be competitive and this core is going to be here a long time and as it is for i'm sure it is for you ken um, a lot of regret that we didn't see more success. You, you can't you can't be too upset about three NLCS appearances again when you've never seen that before. But I really thought we would uh, we'd reach uh, the promised land a couple more times. So that's my thought. What'd you think as we wrap up the show, Jeff? Vaughn, Would you do it again?
1: I did. I sure would. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me.
0: I love I love having you. I've I've always told you this. One of these days. Um, one of these days. I I I and and I know that we've got to figure this out soon. Um, and, and, who knows if COVID's going to last back in the park, but I'd love to take in a game with you. I'd love to, I'd love to have you join and, and, uh, I'd love to, uh, to see if we could schedule that in next summer. Cause it would be an absolute thrill to, to come in and, and, and see Wrigley through your eyes. Love to do it. Well, thanks for being on Ken Keller, our special guest host. Uh, I, I jokingly called you our intern before, but we're just going to keep that moniker intern Ken Keller. I think, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it sounds good. The intern. Yeah. I love it. All right, Ken. Well, on behalf of uh, Ken Keller, this uh, this is Chad Gordon. Thank you so much for listening this week here on the Friendly Confines. We will be back. Uh, the next episode will undoubtedly um, cover uh, everything that happens in the trade deadline. We can't wait for you to join us. Uh, we will see you at the ballpark, everybody.
1: It's just the game for I seen other teams and it's never the same when you're born in Chicago. You're blessed and you're a feel the first time you walk into Wrigley feel
3: were... This is Mike Wilbon from ESPN's Pardon the Interruption. And I'm speaking with Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines podcast. Hey everybody, this is Ryan Dempster and you're listening to Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines podcast.